0: Hey, hey, welcome back in to Stub Me Down. I'm gonna remember to introduce myself this time. My name is JW, and as always, I am here with my best friend and co-host, Skinny. Skinny, say hello to people, my friend. Hey, everybody, how's it going? It's good to, uh, well, I don't
1: really hear them, so that's strange, but it's about to get stranger. So, yeah, it's it's good to see you and talk to you. Man, we gotta start doing more of these in person
0: five minutes away. Um, You You gotta buy a house. (laughs) (laughs) It's a he shed. We'll we'll put a a recording studio in halfway between (laughs) your house and my house. Hey, you know what? It's cool. This is the second episode of season three, and it's actually the first time you and I have been by ourselves on a podcast episode in a little bit on the last episode, the first episode of season three. Man, how much fun was that? We had Fox Sports producer Jake Jolivet, Jake Jolly join us. And let's say that five times fast. Jake Jolly join us. Jake came on the show and Jake stubbed us down on a fish show from October 24th, 2021, Fish's Fall Tour. Uh, This was the show at the LA Forum. Man, I just had so much fun talking to that guy. He has some great stories, and hearing how he figured out how to work our music into the NFL broadcasts that he does, and the college games, college football games that he does, NASCAR from time to time, it was just such a cool conversation. What an awesome guy, and once again, dude, I think we had a great conversation about some music, and we made a new friend, too, so what an awesome time.
1: Yeah, he's an amazing person too. You meet people over the interwebs or whatever, and you're not really sure how things are going to pan out. You know, we send a lot of emails back and forth, and it's a little bit of a script going back and forth of what we're going to do and, and what we're planning. But he peeled back the curtain on something that happens every Sunday, and he's the wizard. And literally, that's like 2%. I don't even know if that's the right percentage of what he does. I think he said 10. Yeah, I think he said 10. Yeah. I'd venture to guess that's probably less. He's just, he's being nice to us.
0: <laughs> I don't know why he would want to do that, but... <laughs> well, I mean, it's because that's what, that's what everybody thinks. Look, when before we got on the air with him, I was like, his job is to program the music. And I figured that's a big enough job to program the music, program the audio for a four-hour football game around, you know, in different cities around the country. That sounds like a pretty big job to me, but that's only a very small part of his job. So, yeah, that was that was crazy.
1: Yeah, it was cool to hear that and just being in the truck and all those things that he talked about. So, amazing. Yeah, I'm so glad he was part of this season, and I hope that he he maintains uh, that connection if we're ever out in California, Jake, or you're ever over here on the East Coast, man, we got to hook up and, and just have more of those shared stories and experiences. And I really believe at the end, he has never talked about a show like that. And I'm like, with us, <laughs> like nobody, like I'm surprised you want to talk to me sometimes <laughs> about the show that I've seen. So it's really cool that uh, we can still continue to do this. And and by the way, for our fans and people that listen to us, there's more of that coming, which. I think this season is really going to be surprising, but I'm not going to uh I'm not going to peel back the curtain on us just yet. I don't even think anybody wants to do that. So,
0: it's going to be great. We got a couple of cool things that are that are in the works, but yeah, I mean aside from just hearing about Jake's job and how he incorporated Our music into these broadcasts the show that we talked about was really good too there was some real highlights the second song of the show was a 24 minute version of you enjoy myself which went pretty deep there was some type 2 jams sprinkled in pretty much every song they played and of course the whole LA woman sexual tension mojo rising conversation that we had with the second set was it was a lot of fun but I really feel like when you listen to the music you can hear that I thought that was a pretty apt description that you laid down when you talked about how the band replicated that to a certain extent throughout the set maybe not with the Santos but with the tweezer
1: and that's what the Doors represented I think especially that's what started Teen Beat what the fuck is teen beat (laughs) i never read it i just saw it at the 7-eleven on the racks
0: (laughs) oh like a magazine okay yeah right now i know what you're talking about yeah
1: yeah it was called teen beat i don't know the history of magazines or anything please but i do know that morrison was basically the cover boy forever you know, even after he died, you know how iconic is that picture, and that's why I went to see that painting in Venice where he formed the doors with Manzarek, and it's right there. So it's just very iconic. It's very LA, and I thought that was great. And haven't been out there. That really meant a lot to me to talk to him. Haven't been there to see a couple shows. It's just funny. It' funny stuff, man. The guy's hilarious, and I don't even think he knows it. So. Shout out to Jake. Thank you so much. It was great having you on, and I hope you keep listening because we love you.
0: Yeah, and hopefully we'll catch you at a show or at a football game either on the East Coast or the West Coast. Switching gears just a little bit skinny. We had talked last season. I had actually been to a Goose show, and I went to another one, actually, just a couple weeks ago down at the 930 Club in Washington, D.C. I saw the second of two nights that Goose was playing down there. I got to hang out with our good friend and stub-me-down legend Pummel Horse, a.k.a. Greg. So it was good to see him for a little bit. He's, he's a big goose guy now, so it was fun to see him. He had been to both nights. They're pretty good, man. I, I'm not about to, like, memorize their catalog or go on Goose Tour, but they had a couple of good jams. Their light show was really, really good. I definitely was feeling the lights inside the 930 Club. The place was a mob scene. I haven't seen the 930 Club packed like that since probably Trey played there. You know, maybe there's a little bit of a jam band formula, if you will. You know, that tension and release, the building to a peak that the whole crowd knows is coming. They have a little bit of a reggae feel, which is always fun. But they have that hook, you know. Some of their songs, and not everything, but some of their songs, they they have that hook and they have that groove. I would be surprised if they played a room as small as the 930 Club, again, I could see them selling out the anthem with how packed that place was and how quickly that show sold out. But I also got to meet a huge Goose fan and also a fan of Stub Me Down, Ryan Storm, who is the host of We Move Through Stormy Weather, which is another community podcast that we love. That kid, man, he is living his best life. He was working with Jake Silco and doing photography and, um, you know, basically being a gopher. But he was, you know, hanging out with the band and he got to jam with them for, after sound check one night. And I mean, that kid is the kid from Almost Famous out on the road on tour. I think he's only 21, 22, something like that. And just a great kid to meet. So that was a lot of fun. I don't know, man. We might have to put Goose on the radar for a future episode of Stumming Down.
1: Yeah, I think we should, because that'll get me to listen to it. I'm very savant sometimes. Like,
0: <laughs> I know, I have to force you to listen to new music. <laughs>
1: Back in my 20s, if I was a bed, I'd stay unmade. I would be uh doing
0: the same thing if if I had the means and the ways. And he had just seen his first goose show at Goosemis which was I guess a couple months back. So, great kid, nice to hang out with him. Fun to be at a show. 930 Club always a great time. And as I said, I would be surprised if Goose played a venue that small again. They seem to be gathering a flock. You know, Release the Geese, like I said. You know, it was interesting, Skinny, that's kind of caught me a little bit off guard, but they played Nights in White Satin, the Moody Blues tune, and everybody fucking knew it. And I was like, what the fuck? This crowd... You don't know that song? Of course I know who the fucking Moody Blues is, but I was like, how does a crowd of goose kids know the Moody Blues? Like, it seemed a little obscure to me, and then I, you know, I, I thought, well, maybe it's not as obscure as I thought, but Nights in White Satin's probably, I mean, name me another Moody Blues song off the top of your head. Why are you quizzing me? Because now I'm about to say, I
1: think it's like, I know what the Moody Blues are. <laughs> your verb choice is all fucked up. So what are you, you going to start quizzing me now if I know another? No, I don't. Uh, but I don't, Nights in White Satin. I mean, that's like, a, I, man, here we go with the same word all the time on a, one podcast, iconic song. <laughs> right <laughs> that's a song that you would hear on fm radio constantly
0: yeah classic rock absolutely i probably my mom knew all the words to that song back you know back in the day she was driving me around to practice and shit all i listened to was the greatest hits of the 70s 80s and today you know
1: yeah my dad was a big abba fan so i get no, okay it. <laughs> sure sure all right well We do have something that we usually do when it's just the two of us, and I don't know why we're dicking around so much. So you want to kind of tell everybody that hasn't listened to the show the premise of the show?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So if you are just joining us here on Stub Me Down, first of all, welcome in. Thank you. The premise of the show is that Skinny and I have amassed... Countless ticket stubs from years of going to see concerts together separately before we were friends, but mostly together over the last 23 years of our lives. And we pull a ticket stub at random from those concerts, and we use that show as a jumping off point to talk about the music, the journey of going to see music, our friendship, the funny things that happen along the way. Lately, we have also been including some new friends, and they have been stubbing us down. But today, it's just going to be... Skinny and myself, and I'm actually pretty excited about that.
1: Well, that's great, because I'm going to get right to the business then. J-Dub, are you ready for me to stub you down on today's show?
0: Absolutely, man. Let's get to it.
1: All right, so Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead, like the Ohio State. June 26, 1993, RFK Stadium, Robert Fitzgerald Kennedy Stadium in Washington, D.C. I picked this show for several reasons, but I mean, we're going to be talking a lot about it, so I don't even know what to tell you. I know that you did some homework, obviously, but man, I got so many things to say. It's just the scene and everything about this show. And the music, eventually, which we're going to get to. <laughs> I promise.
0: <laughs> well, this is the third Grateful Dead show that we have done here on Stub Me Down. We did one from 1990. We did one from 91. July 6, 1990 in Louisville was in season one. And then last year we did St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, St. Patrick's Day from 1991 and great shows both and now we're in 93 and dude the thing that got me about listening because i listened to this night and i listened to the night before the june 25th show just because i wanted to get a feel for you know where they were playing and as we've talked about when we've had previous discussions about the grateful dead the latter years of the grateful dead i really didn't spend a whole lot of time listening i loved the pig pen era The early 70s, you know, pretty much, you know, 1965 to 1978 was my window of of Grateful Dead. A few shows here, but, you know, you put a gun to my head, I would be hard-pressed to name, like, the best show of the 80s, you know what I mean? And same with the 90s. But listening back to this, I was like, wow, you know, they really sound really good. I really, really liked Vince, man. I really liked Vince Wellnick. And I think that was one thing, and I had liked him previously, but I had just gotten away from him because I listened to a lot of Keith and a lot of Pigpen. And he's a little bit of an afterthought, I think, sometimes when you talk about the dead keyboardists. sure. And when we talked about the 91 show, he had just joined the band and hadn't really kind of stretched his legs a little bit. Now, he's really making himself impactful in the music that the band is putting forth and I really felt that listening to these two shows and the other thing that got me dude was they sounded so good and kind of refreshed and rejuvenated here how in just over two years is you know Jerry dead and the band is no more. That was a, a thing that I thought, you know, especially as I re-listened the, the show that we're doing tonight, the 26th, that was the one of the overwhelming feelings that I had.
1: Well, honestly, I thought I was going to be seeing at least maybe five, I don't know, luck chance, maybe eight years of this. Obviously, they're trying to influence new material, which we'll get to. They're doing a little bit of stretching Vince out. You know, Bruce Accordiansby is the whole show. (laughs) I mean, which we can also talk about. And I'm going to be delicate here in saying it was so nuanced and cool that I remember being at the show like this is so weird, but awesome. But also on re-listen, not necessarily liking everything that he did when he was playing that. The whole time throughout the show and then of course you know rfk scenes are just immense you know i'm sorry that you missed that i i I know i've joked with you before but this is really down to earth here i'm sorry that you missed those times they were very very interesting (laughs) (laughs) the scene itself and the night before the first show i it just makes me think about where i was in my life i was a barback bartender cook at a place right across the street from Camden Yards called Sliders. And the night before the 625 show, I got into a bar fight, the first and only bar fight I've ever been in. I did not start it. <laughs> I, I was just involved. For the first night, I was on crotches. And then the second night, hopped over the into the crowd. I, I was wincing a little bit, but I was okay enough uh, based on the injury I had. Didn't you get stabbed? I did, uh, which is funny because I did not make that connection. This is hilarious.
0: (laughs) Stabby. (laughs) Full circle. Holy shit. I just put it together now. I've heard that story about you getting stabbed on numerous occasions, and I just, right now, put that shit together. (laughs) I have been stabbed. (laughs) Oh, man, this is going to be a wild one. (laughs) We're going to have to post that shirt. Are you wearing the Stabby shirt from Atlantic City? I think it's on the IG. I know. I already have posted it. It's so stupid that
1: I I don't even make that connection either. The story is so crazy. And then that's what I loved about the Grateful Dead. Like, so. You got to tell the story. You got to tell the Stabbing story. As a fan of the Dead, I knew I was going to these two nights. And so I was working there. And I worked a lot, you know, when you're younger, yeah, you make a lot of money when you're bartending, whatever, but you're still making at that time in 93, I was probably making $5 an hour plus tips, whatever. And you're you're kind of barely holding on, but you're trying to entertain yourself too. And my father and I went to a baseball game the night before the first show. And I believe they were playing Oakland, but we had Harold Baines who played for Oakland forever. Great hitter, man. I just, I loved Harold Baines. He hit a home run. That night, I took my dad to the game and I took him across the street to the bar and he had a couple Manhattans and I put him in a cab and he went home. So I came back because I worked there or whatever, I knew people and I'm hanging out and a brawl starts behind the bar. These guys like kind of charged the bar with people that I worked with. And so I, I went to grab the guy by the back and fell down of course. Like, so I grabbed the guy and I fall on my back. Worse, I'm turtled. It's tough. Jesus. I'm done. So I've helped very little in whatever situation was occurring. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll get you. And then that was it. <laughs> so as I'm on the ground, there's a guy on top of me, you know, he's just trying to pummel me. I got my arms up in front of my face. And the next thing you know, I feel something go in and out of my right left knee. My, I'm holding it now. Left knee. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm stabbed. Get off me. Get off. There's like 10 people on me now. The bouncers took these guys outside. Oh my God. They took care of them. Like you wouldn't believe I'd never, I, when I heard about it, it was crazy. And then I had to go to court cause they said that I chased them all the way up to the Camden Yards numbers and I beat them up. Dude, I was out of that fight in like two seconds. So it was a great court case. That's a story for another time. They lost obviously. <laughs> the bouncers took care of them. Like incredibly, uh, these guys were way out of line. So I'm, I go to the hospital that night, the next day I'm okay. But you know, I had probably 10 stitches in my knee and, uh, maybe I'll, I'll have to post the picture of the scar. Nobody wants to see that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Then the first night, I'm on crutches. Jesus. And I'm with our buddy J.O., who was on episode 10 last year. And I'm like, put my crutch in the air, trying to see if anybody around me would know it was me. It was just a lunacy. Crazy, crazy story the night before. And then by six twenty-six, I, I was okay. <laughs> I was able to limp around and I actually was able to hop over the wall and be on the floor for the second night. So that was really cool. That's my story. There were wild times, I was 23. So, Ryan
0: Storm, don't get in bar fights, man. Just
1: keep your distance. If COVID taught you anything, keep your distance.
0: You know, it's funny too, because when I was looking just at the Grateful Dead in 1993 and trying to figure out where, where they were as a band, you can hear it in their sound. They played 81 shows in 1993,
1: 81, right? that's a big train that's rolling down the track man
0: hell yeah and it was funny too because i was like all right so this is summer tour so i was like when did the summer tour begin well i tried to like figure that out so i'm like going through Deadbase, and aside from like a couple weeks they took off in february and then like a couple more they took off in april they toured from january until basically the end of June and then there was a little bit of a break after this show and then they picked up again um, not quite two months later in August and then toured till the end of the year so I couldn't even really nail down like how many shows the the summer tour was because it was like winter tour that bled into spring tour that bled into summer tour that bled into late summer and it's crazy I mean they're basically playing a show every third night which is mind-boggling
1: and then also you gotta remember too, these aren't just sheds now. These are stadiums in the summer.
0: The vet giant stadium.
1: Yeah. In the fall and winter, they're playing indoor arenas that are still capacity 20 grand with the floor. That's crazy. To be able to keep up with that, especially where Jerry I understand that he was probably a lot better then. And it seemed like 93 was probably, I remember seeing Jerry Garcia band in the fall. Late fall, like in November, and then it started to fall apart, it seemed like, the next year. And there's so many various reasons for that. His personal relationships, you know, obviously the addiction, it was the top of the end. It was the top, and then after that, it was a dip. And it was a huge one because the the end of the dip ended in, uh, tragically, his death. So really, if you look at it, it's a top-to-bottom show, and there's a lot... There's a lot to talk about that's really, really good.
0: Yeah, I thought it was interesting, too. Sting opened both of these nights. Yes. And Jerry came out, I guess, at the end of Sting's set on the night of the 26th. And he came out and played Walking on the Moon, Consider Me Gone, Been Down So Long. Um, and Don Henley from the Eagles came out and sang that. And, I mean, Jerry was, was just right there. It just sounded great. I got to check out a couple of YouTube videos of that and of this show so it was it was cool to watch the band play yeah it was interesting with sting opening and that's kind of an interesting combination too. sting opening for the grateful dead although you know in 1993 that's two of the biggest acts that are out there i mean if Right up there with, you know, probably U2 would have been one of the biggest bands in, you know, 1993, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I saw a bunch of bands open up for the Grateful Dead during that time. That 10,000 Maniacs opened up. Steve Miller Band opened up. Traffic, which was my favorite of all time. That was the one that I went in early. A lot of times, like, ah, you know, you're out in the lot, which is a funny thing. The lots are so expansive and there's so much going on outside right around you know that the anacostia river how that runs down which is let's not pee and poop into the river (laughs) while everybody's standing around pre-show but that happened (laughs) that happened a lot
0: and obviously that's gonna happen at you know these big multi-day shows talk a little bit about the scene at rfk i have been to rfk for a number of events i saw the Redskins play there years and years ago when I first moved to this area before they moved to the current shithole that they occupy. And I also saw a couple of HF festivals there, probably a random concert or two, some soccer games and shit like that. But obviously nothing the scale of a Grateful Dead show at RFK. So talk a little bit about not only the scene, but the feel of a stadium show in an area that big because I don't I you know fish doesn't play stadiums (laughs) thank god
1: the difference is it is very earthy (laughs) (laughs) I mean it's it's people on tour and when I say on tour I mean hardcore on tour Hertz Renovans big Dodge Caravans which shout out to my old friends that I went on tour with in 90 that big Dodge Caravan you know lots of people very Tribal. We mentioned that a couple seasons ago. I, you know, that's the difference I think between the Grateful Dead and Fish scenes. Just bigger, not necessarily better. Just huge, gigantic, enormous. People everywhere, and different kinds of people. People that were into it. People that there that were there for the right reasons. People that were there for the wrong reasons. People that had never seen a show, to wanted to experience the Grateful Dead and said that I was there. Almost a historical perspective about it, which seems weird, but it's totally true because at that time they were still, you're hanging on to whatever the 60s was. It's a little
0: nostalgia. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that, yeah. Not bad. I it's, mean, it's they're not still... they are misinformed. They're, you're, st- you're still seeing the same fucking thing today. You know, when people go to see any of their surviving members, like... You know, there's a finite number of songs that they got in them. I'm not saying you're
1: you're hanging on, but I'm saying it's it's what the buzz is about. And the Grateful Dead had a really big buzz, obviously, to sell out or to have a packed stadium like Giant Stadium, RFK. I mean, we're talking 70,000. This isn't 20. 70,000 is humongous. If you haven't been around it. I highly suggest just seeing it so that you can be like, that is, not 70,000. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of fucking people. The safety, the concerns, there's a lot that's happening with 70,000 people moving around. So, listen, there was a bridge, kind of, and a tunnel when you went in that was very sketched out that I did not like, especially after the show, was not my favorite bag of tricks i'm like where's the car i think we're in like lot f where is that i'm i'm very like let's get the hell out of here you know what i mean and and have been known since back in those days josh to leave at the encore (laughs) (laughs) only to get away from strangers you know (laughs) yeah like i mean i like them it's kind of cool when you see them during the daytime uh, you can kind of deal with it a little bit better, but at, at nighttime, little sketchy. I mean, listen, even some of the guys that I knew back then uh, would do stupid stuff. I mean, I got a friend of mine, rest in peace, Greggy. <laughs> he, he obtained a car illegally <laughs> and drove it back home. Uh, he shouldn't have done that, but you know, it's just another thing on the, the the list where you're asking me how it was at RFK. And, uh, it was, it It was glorious, but yet dangerous.
0: (laughs) I'm sure that the statute of limitations has run out on that (laughs) situation.
1: I don't know the make and model. I I don't know. I don't know. It's never adjudicated.
0: (laughs) I never. Know. I don't know any of the details. Were you in said car on the way back, or? <laughs>
1: no, no, no. I had my own See, ride. Out
0: an accomplice after the fact. <laughs> I just.
1: I I heard about it subsequently within the following days. So. I was not involved. I was not involved. Oh man. Yeah, I think uh, let's run over these sets, man. Let's get to talking
0: about some music today. So, we are talking about The Grateful Dead at RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C. on June 26th, 1993. I had just celebrated my 16th birthday, Skinny, so I'm getting a little bit older here, you know? I was like 12 the first time we talked about The Grateful Dead on Stummy Down. Now I'm 16. I'm growing up a little bit. Like, who knows what my future holds? So, to open the show, they started out with Feel Like a Stranger, Brown-Eyed Women, Spoonful Lazy River Road. When I paint my masterpiece, Bird Song and they close a relatively short set with a Picasso moon. Dude, the stranger that opened this show is fucking badass. That is an absolute, probably my favorite thing they did in this first set. The feeling that you get from that energy and that emotion when they hit those opening notes, is just party. It just felt so good. Right from the beginning, Vince caught my ear, and so I first listened to this show on ReListen, and I was I was not watching it, and then I was like I was hearing something. I was like, what is that? And then when Vince sings a little bit later, I was like, there's got to be a video of this. So I found it on YouTube, and then I discovered that Bruce was on stage playing the accordion, but Vince was so good in this Stranger. And so was Jerry. I mean, the whole band just really kicked it off with a lot of fun, high energy. It was almost an 11-minute version here, too. Man, I just absolutely loved the feel that they started this show with. You know, and it definitely had, a, you know, a little bit more of a modern sound than I think some of the shows that we've talked about with The Grateful Dead on previous episodes.
1: I thought The Stranger is the best song of the show. Now, that's a lot to say for the opener, (laughs) but listen, it's the best opener for me. I love a stranger and I like to dance around and they were getting with it right when they get into the primary jam. and five minutes in, they just go absolutely ape on that. It's really crazy. I know in hanging 10 and surfing is when you hang your feet right over the top of the board when you catch a wave, which I've never done. But I would love to. I think I've got to put that on my list. But cosmically, five minutes in, they're hanging their toes over the surfboard, and they're like, let's go. You know? Let's go. It's about like running a red light. Let's go.
0: Yeah. In a stolen car. (laughs) (laughs) In a stolen car.
1: uh, At a gas station. I don't know. Whatever, man. They really cosmically get it in that five minutes. It might be for for the stuff that I would seen, which was very limited, again, 87 to 95. One of the best openers I'd ever seen. After I re-listened to it, I would have to go back and listen to all the shows and all the songs that it's really hard to compare, but I am doing it because after listening to it, it is a monster. And I know 11 minutes doesn't sound like a monster at all, but I mean, come on, 93 there they have to play to a wider fan base. We talked about the train already. We've talked about that before. Stadium shows, Stranger Open, but they nail it and back it up with a pretty good Brown Eyed Women. Doesn't harken back to 77 or anything like that, where Jerry's playing's not as in tune with the melody of the song, I guess, but it's pretty damn good and I like when his voice sounds a little bit weathered. He he sounds good. He doesn't really miss anything. The stranger is amazing. I'm feeling weird about the accordion, but you know, we'll, we'll talk a, a little bit about that.
0: It was weird when you watch it, and honestly, I feel like we'll see this a couple of times as we talk about the whole show. At some points, it was tough to hear Bruce because of what Vince was doing, but there were times where whatever Bruce was doing on the accordion had a very kind of polka-ish type of feel, and I don't necessarily know if it added anything to the show. I mean, aside from them playing with Bruce, who had played with the band for a while and then wasn't, and he came out and played both of these nights on the accordion. Like, give the guy a fucking piano. (laughs) Like, what the fuck?
1: (laughs) And I would rather that, like a grand piano, which I've seen
0: him play. But... (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly. And that was the one thing that I couldn't believe because you're hearing all of what Vince is doing. And then when I saw the video, like, his setup, it was like a bar band setup. He had, like, one keyboard and then, like, one on top of it. And I guess I'm used to seeing, you know, Paige has seven keyboards stacked up in every direction. But I feel like even brent and keith they had piano they had a hammond b3 they had multiple different synthesizers that they would move around to vince didn't have any of that shit he had one you know like it looked like a fucking casio keyboard that my brother had (laughs) dude i knew you were gonna say casio (laughs) (laughs) you know back in the day and then like one on top and it sounded amazing i'm not taking anything he just played the rock beat (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. You just hit the button on top, right? It's like, which
1: one is the Jerry the Jerry lead guitar? Uh, we don't need two
0: drummers. I got rock beat. <laughs> <laughs> so I felt like the accordion kind of gets washed out in places, especially if you're not watching it. You're just listening to it, it's a little bit tougher to distinguish. But I I mean I like the brown eyed women. I mean that's a that's a Grateful Dead fucking staple, you know, like you Yeah it's amazing. Yeah. That. Yeah.
1: I mean that's a great tune. Backing that up with this stranger whose ever idea play those first two out of the box. They they win. That that's a win huge.
0: And you get a little bit of a bust out. I mean I, I won't call it like a you know a mega bust out like we talked about the last time we talked about the Grateful Dead in that 91 St. Patrick's Day show, but The Spoonful here, which debuted in 1981, they weren't playing a ton. And out of 81 shows that they played in 93, they only played Spoonful seven times. So, you know, you're kind of lucky to get that in there. And again, Vince, I thought sounded great. That was really where I was watching. I was like, what is up with his setup? Why does he have such a limited amount of equipment there? Considering the amount of shit that The Dead set up on stage, you know for the entirety of their career whether it's wall of sound or whether it's the ever-expanding drum kits that mickey and billy had it just seemed odd you know what i mean well bobby gets washed out of that
1: too musically not with his voice obviously i mean but you know
0: bro bobby wasn't fucking plugged in on this show <laughs>
1: All right. Well, I mean, I was listening to that. I know that you said that. So for you guys out there, just know that we talk sometimes (laughs) before we talk. Let's talk about the Lazy River Road, which to me was great. I love this song more now that I've listened to it in the past couple weeks, because just where we were, it's the summertime. And we'll get to this, too, but very Americana and very strongly played version of a newer song, which they were pushing at this time. So I heard Bobby in there too. So I started, I was like, wow, I'm going to have to tell him that, like, I could hear
0: him. Dude, I listened to, I like, I listened and watched and like, you know, listen for like the sound when his hand is like supposed to be strumming and there's not a fucking sound coming out. I, (laughs) I think that they, you know, they're like, Bobby, you're good, man. You're plugged in. You sound great whatever maybe played something into his monitor but yeah the lazy river road i thought was good that's a 1993 debut so you're only talking about the 20th version that the band had ever played and i think that's going to be interesting as we get into the rest of this show is taking a look at when some of these songs started making their appearance in grateful dead shows it doesn't necessarily speak to a band that has been around for at this point 28 years, you know what I mean? Mickey was, like, playing the drums with tambourines on the video, which I thought was kind of cool. There's pro shot video of this. Oh, yeah, I saw that. That was kind of cool.
1: I didn't know that, because you can't see behind them when you're at the show. I mean, you can't really see anything except, you know, the sweaty guy in front of you.
0: Yeah, there's a series on YouTube called All the Years Live, and it's basically pro shot by the band or whatever, and so there were a few from this from this show. There was like one or two from the night before as well. I think the Uncle John's band from the night before was on there too. But it was cool because you got a little bit more of a a different aspect and I think they included some of the screens as well. It was definitely cool to get that visual representation but Bobby definitely wasn't plugged in. (laughs) Um, After that, Bobby Bobby belts out a uh, masterpiece here. This was... I won't say new, but newer. This debuted in 87. This was the 10th time they played it in 93 out of 18 for that year. They would started playing that a lot, you know,
1: in when I was seeing them. I I saw this a bunch of times, and I love this song. And the reason why I love it for this set is because it's starting to tell a story. I'm an at-the-concert nerd. So if you're like, say, do you want a hot dog or something? I'm like, dude, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Like, meanwhile, you're just trying to help me out. And I'm like, nah, I'm good, man. Just leave me alone. I'm zoning out. This is when I'm trying to think or imagine what are they thinking. So I'm trying to come up with some sort of musical ESP, which never works. I'm not. It's my own thing. I, I certainly wouldn't push that on anybody. But I always am trying to do that. And I felt like... Lazy River Road and the Masterpiece
0: is when they start to do that.
1: That's interesting.
0: I like the idea of Masterpiece just from thinking about it internally. You know, At some point, we're all going to have that one great thing that we do or that we accomplish. Maybe it's career-wise or family or having a really awesome podcast or whatever it is, we all are hopefully going to have some sort of masterpiece. The Bird song that came next really kind of grabbed me for this set. And a great, delicate version, 14 minutes of Jerry just playing so emotionally. You know, it's funny, too, because I was... Under the impression that this had been a straight through, as soon as this hit in '71, this was constant. But they actually shelved this from 1973 to 1980, which I did not know. I didn't know that either. That's that's crazy. Then I was also like, oh, well, where where was it at, as far as times played in this time period and in. 93 it was you know they played it 13 times so that's not a ton out of 81 shows for for something that again you would consider this significant grateful dead staple but i think it also points back to the average age of the songs from this show that we're gonna see i mean 93 is Lazy River Road, Masterpiece is 87, The Bird Song here, and then after that is Picasso Moon, which debuted in 89. So there's a lot more recent tunes that they're pulling in here. It's, you know, it's not this like 70s heavy show, which I thought was really cool about it, but it just felt kind of like a new old band. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because they're trying to infuse that.
1: Again, they have a lot of followers now. So I think their creativity, they wanted to keep pushing new stuff. I mean, you know, Jerry wrote with Robert Hunter. He played all the time. It's like that was his life, was playing all the time. That was Bobby's life, was playing all the time.
0: Well, he was playing, but I don't know if he's plugged in. (laughs) But I think those two
1: guys specifically around that time are with Barlow and Jerry with Robert Hunter. I think that's what they were they were trying to accomplish is new new. Um, and then infusing those new songs, which at the time, new doesn't always go over well. And there were people complaining. There, there's not much to complain about that Lazy River Road, but the Picasso Moon was a, is a big complaint. And now that's a deeply constructed song, which has some weird elements to it, especially the... It's like a staccato. It's, nobody knows where to really put their body into it. I feel like asking a fan to put their body into space when they play that song... They're weirded out by it. They don't know how to... (laughs) They're like, do I dance on the downbeat? It seems like a very white person song. You know what I mean? It's like very dissonant in the way that it's set up. It kind of reminds me
0: of, like, Sugar Shack or 555. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's like at the first, you... uh, uh, What the... This isn't... Yeah, at the beginning, you're like, oh, wait. And then you're like... "Mm -hmm. Yeah. Need a beer? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's okay, you know, it's really hard, especially when you start hearing, these. I don't know when I, the, my first Picasso moon, it might've been a couple tours before this. I mean, you said 89, so, you know, I might've caught it then. I just can't remember exact, you know, what I saw, when, all the time. But I do know that was the prevalent feeling was that I just don't know how to fit into this song. You know, which is weird for where it's placed
0: in the set. It it does get a lot of shit. There's no doubt about it. Aside from the Bird song, The Stranger and the Brown-Eyed Women, basically everything is post-1980, right? So that was one of my questions was with this type of new material, I I hesitate to use the, the word new right a song in 1987 isn't necessarily new it's six years old right well i'm not new (laughs) relatively speaking if you're listening to a song in 1993 that debuted in 1987 it's not that long ago right what was the reaction you said some of it was not necessarily received as well what was the crowd's reaction to basically a first set of recent to new songs Uh, That's usually talked about in the parking lot after,
1: which was a lot of, you know, ridiculous 23-year-old perspective bullshit. I definitely know that I did not have a perspective as a young man about, like, trying new things even though I'm doing whatever and being stupid. But I can't appreciate the fact that these wonderful musicians that I follow around and go see are trying to do new things, and I'm like, ah lack of perspective I think is what what uh, is the problem there for that age and that's a personal feeling I think around me whoever it was old fans new fans uh, medium fans people that had never seen him before just kind of a difficult tempo I think maybe to, to pick up on which doesn't mean that the song is not good but then again it' might not hit you in the right way. We talk about that all the time, J-Dub. It's like, if it doesn't hit you, it can't get you. I mean, that's just the way it is. So I think the perspective was it was new. It was not, that was so great! <laughs> Nobody said that. They just said, eh. I mean, I, I, I could see how they could work it out or whatever, and they
0: they didn't really get a chance to uh, later on. We've, we've got the benefit looking at it almost 30 years hence. To say obviously we know these songs and, and stuff like that, but putting yourself in the perspective. And again, like if you're thinking about it in 1993, unless you are following the band, trading tapes, going to a lot of shows, you're not getting exposed to this new music, right? You're not gonna know what uh, Spoonful is. Well, maybe spoonful you would, but Lazy River Road. You're not going to know what that is if you haven't been paying attention. If you're just, you know, hopping on to go to the show because you've got, you know, a friend that had an extra ticket. I think the problem was that ended the set, the Picasso Moon. That's
1: that's the problem. I mean, if you're going to ask a deadhead, like, what do you think the reaction was? I didn't like the way they ended the set because they put it there and it was new er and they could have put something else there and to bookend the stranger i mean the stranger starts the whole entire show off with such a bang everything's going to be a letdown after that so <laughs> i mean i'm sorry like even on relist and you're like Phew, that stranger like man how hard is it to follow that up so true you know seven song first set it it seems like they're like okay well let's regroup a little bit and and see what happens in the
0: second it was not a long show overall, total number of songs. I mean, the second song was a little bit longer than the first. But let's just quickly review the first set from The Grateful Dead at RFK on June 26, 1993. They had opened the show with Feel Like a Stranger, Smoke version. there. Brown Eyed Women, Spoonful, Lazy River Road, When I Paint My Masterpiece, Birdsong, And they closed the set with Picasso Moon. A great set. Again, I enjoyed it. For me, being exposed to a 93 show, I was surprised by how tight the band sounded. They did have a very comfortable, loose feel, but it was not sloppy. And Jerry sounded great. The interplay between Jerry and Vince I thought was very good. Bobby wasn't plugged in. I wish somebody would unplug his mic sometimes. Phil was locked in, driving the train. The drummers were great. I mean, it was, it was for me, a quintessential Grateful Dead first set. Josh, so we're going to take a little bit of a break here,
1: kind of. I told you it's dangerous to walk around even the concourse at RFK. But as I walk around, I wanted to talk to you about one of our partners from the Lot by Primal Soup we're going to talk about frames, et cetera. So frames, et cetera, started outfitting these donut license plate frames about 10 years ago. And I actually have one. So here we are now in 2022, and they have like 10 different styles of these license plate frames. Did I say that right? License plate frames. (laughs) And they also have hats. These jerseys are really cool, which I want to talk about too. Water bottles, keychains. So it's really cool what they have. And the frame that I have is listen to five nine seventy-seven. Is it five nine? No. So I don't even know what my license plate looks like. It's not like I look at it. <laughs> five eight seventy-seven, which is a great show. But they have such great stuff. And the jerseys are amazing. I didn't realize they had these things, but they have like Fish 21 summer tour Deer Creek. I wore that Jersey the Larry Bird Jersey to the forum. I want one of these things. These things are awesome. The Dix one is like the old Denver nuggets logo. I don't know if you're familiar with that with the mountains and like kind of the rainbow behind it. It's sick. So listen, I have a frame, but you should check out this shop and it's on the lot by primal soup, which we are a part of, and we love being a part of. So please check it out. Frames, etc. really cool stuff. All you gotta do is click on the link by the lot by Primal Soup and you can shop anytime, anywhere. Frames, etc. Really cool stuff.
0: Yeah, my sister in law, Julia, JB, shout out to JB. She's got the your trip is short on her car. I don't put license plate frames on my car. I like to go a little incognito.
1: What do you have? Like where you bought it? Arnold Ford or whatever.
0: <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't have anything. <laughs> No. <laughs> I don't have anything I don't have anything I'm a little steely on the window on the side but you have to look for it great merch always always important to be looking fresh on the lot you know how it is skinny the second set from the Grateful Dead RFK June 26, 1993 they open up with Iko Iko Way to Go Home playing in the band into Terrapin Station, into drums, into space, into last time, into days between, into throwing stones, into, of course, one more Saturday night to close the show, they encored with Liberty. So a little bit of an older set, I think, when you take a look at the second here, the Ico, Playing in Terrapin, those are going to be a little bit older tunes. Here is a great place where I felt Bruce fit right in and that was that Ico Ico and like that you get a little bit of the polka feel. Then I felt like okay now I could now I could hear Bruce and he he felt like he added something starting with the Ico and it was a you know it was a fun 11 minute version. I think, kind of kicked back into a little bit of that party atmosphere that I think the band had kind of gotten away from at the end of the first set. Kind of re-energized the crowd with the Ico.
1: I would agree. I think that that Ico was perfectly placed. So, especially for the complainers. (laughs) Because it's actually it's a really smoking Ico Ico. Again, I... The Stranger opener and then the Ico second opener. I ha- I don't know how to compare those, but they're very smoking hot. They're really good, and you can't complain now that they're not around anymore in the format that I saw them back then, or a lot of people did. Would have loved to hear a Stranger open, crush it, crushed. And then Ico Ico that crushes to open up the second. You can forget about that Picasso moon if you were complaining about it. You don't even think about it anymore, because now we're on a different direction. We're on a different journey
0: now. We're, it's That's finished. Let's start. Until they play Way to Go Home, which the band had just debuted the year before, so, in 92, so. And that slows it down, again, infusing
1: new songs. Is that a Vince tune? Is
0: that a Vince tune?
1: I think so. I mean, he sings it. I don't have a lot of info on this. You're the stats guy. I don't know. I would have to look up in the dead bass and see what that is or the lyric one. But I'm not going to do that right now. But I'll tell you this. It's obvious what they're doing. And I think maybe if you were talking about keeping with that theme of what people were thinking... They're like, okay, well, now they're so big, they gotta infuse this new stuff to try to keep making sure that this playbook has enough in it to keep going every night. I mean, I don't know. I also thought in the first set that they had painted a picture, and the picture was Americana. And they were also talking about, you know, Botticelli's niece is in my, When I Paint My Masterpiece. A lot of people think, for a woman, as far as singing goes, that Janis Joplin was a masterpiece of a singer, Picasso Moon, there's just all these little tidbits, Lazy River Road, they're by the Anacostia River that flows in the Potomac, and just that scenery, this Americana type of conversation, we didn't have, and I think it even continues with the rest of the set, with the playing and the terrapin, which, I mean, let's stop fucking around. Playing Terrapin is what I would go
0: see the Grateful Dead Yeah, just to clarify on the way to go home, it is way to go home. It was one of Vince's two original contributions along with Samba in the Rain. So that was a Vince tune, that's what I thought it was, but I just wanted to confirm that. Samba in the Rain is another one people complain yeah, yeah. about all the time. And that, uh, yeah, and that debuted in 94. So I I do uh, thank you to Jam Bass for the quick Google on that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously this set is really about the play and the terrapin. And the play again, you hear Bruce on the accordion wailing on that thing. And that was a really weird thing because now, like, there you could hear the accordion kind of inserting itself into different parts of the playing, and that was a little bit weird because it felt almost like a tug of war with Vince, and because there's a similar sound coming out of the keys and of the accordion, but again, Vince just was smoking hot during this playing, and again, Bobby wasn't fucking I swear to God, dude, I swear I was watching, like, intently. I'm like, now I'm determined to see him strum the guitar and listen for it specific I could hear Phil. I could, like, focus on every single member of the band individually. I couldn't pull Bobby out to save my fucking life. Well, it's funny, because they go way, way
1: deep for a plan. And I'm not saying that he was plugged in. I got to go back. Now I'm like, <laughs> I said to myself today, I'm not going to listen to this fucking show for a while because we're just doing a podcast about it. I'm not going to listen to it. I've been listening to it forever. And you got me stuck on this. Bobby wasn't plugged in. That's a new t-shirt that we should have had 35 years ago.
0: Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> add it but, to the list.
1: Yeah, add it to the list. But, you know, I feel like they went so out there. And that's what I used to see. The Grateful Dead 4 is this completely fall apart thing in a song. Playing in the band is the perfect example of that. Everything falls apart. Your entire understanding of how music is put together falls apart in a playing in the band. And then, man, they, they can bring it right back up. It's amazing to me. And then into a terrapin.
0: It's ridiculous. Yeah, that transition into Terrapin was, once you heard those first notes, and you had Jerry kind of playing it, but then you also had the accordion playing those intro notes to Terrapin, and, man, this Terrapin fucking 18 minutes, dude. Terrapin Station is my favorite Grateful Dead
1: I agree with that. I mean, it's one of my favorites. I mean, I have right. It depends on the day. Right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm I, not really. I'm not really good to talk about favorites. To, I mean, but it's up there. I mean, if I had to pick ten, right. I'm picking. Terrapin is in that ten. If I had. To. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's 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 kind of home for me with the Grateful Dead, and this version was beautiful. I mean, Jerry was so patient and relaxed and intricate in his playing, they do a little bit of, uh, in the fish scene, what we might call a type 2, probably about 10-12 you know, minutes into this version, and the feeling that I get from this particular progression of chords and notes is, like, I have like a physical reaction to it, and this version, shit, dude, I probably listen to it a dozen times in the last week the other thing that really pulled me into this one is that at some point jerry starts doing kind of like a horn tone it's almost like a you know an alto sax maybe i don't know my horns very well carl sorry you're listening to something from you know the 80s and 90s you're hearing this and you're like wait is there a horn on stage is there a steel drum no that's jerry it's so cool and that i mean for me that's kind of like the first place I ever heard a guitarist change their tone away from a guitar into some other instrument to have a different effect. Bleeding into the drum space that came after it, it, Just that was just such a spectacular, like, hour. I mean, this is, the middle of the show is an hour. The plane is, like, 12. You got an 18-minute terrapin, and then drum space was, like, 30 minutes. I can't speak to the drum space. Uh, I, mean, I know I was there. <laughs> it had a little bit of, like, an Asian flair to it. It was, it was my, you know, my kind of drum space. Yeah, it was, it, like, had a little bit of spookiness to it. Interesting. Is that when you have, like, the pork and, like, the noodles
1: or whatever? <laughs> Asian flair. I don't get that. But I, I didn't listen to it, so what do I know? You could be right, I'm sure. I know that when I was there and hearing that kind of stuff, I was like, wow, that's strange. <laughs> that's different because it was different for my ears since I never heard it before and so I might have to go back and listen to it. it's really hard for me to listen to drum space my experience of being there and having to go back and listen to that I skip over it all the time
0: it's a little like I imagined walking around on the field during drum space and like maybe getting a little lost and not knowing what's up, (laughs) feeling a little creeped out. Stay with your crew. It's a little spooky. (laughs) Like what are they doing up there? What instrument did he just hit that's making that weird noise? You know, is that also the demons in my head? You know, like I was thinking about that as I'm listening and the drums was like that and then the space kind of continued that eerie feel and then all of a sudden they're playing last time and it's like boom mind blown when they melt out of space and into that and how are they going to be gone in two years i just it didn't really matter what they played the rest of the set after that playing terrapin drum space i was like I'm good. And then the re- I, I enjoyed the rest of the show, but the pace was a little bit different. They kind of dialed it back. The last time was fun. Again, now we're back in that kind of more recent phase of tunes. This debuted in 1990. You've got The Days Between, which debuted. Which is a huge dial back. Huge. I mean, that, 1993
1: like, debut. Yeah, you got to be paying attention. And you know what? It's songs like this. That actually reinvigorated my mind, I think, to pay attention to what was happening on stage. Because Days Between is very, again, nuanced,
0: slow,
1: haunting, apt for a complaint, um, unless if Jerry didn't sound right or whatever. I mean, this is a really good version. It's, it's quite extensive too. And the last time comes out of that space really quick. Uh, It it seemed like the pace that um, Mickey and Billy were setting was not the same as the pace that Phil was setting. Like, there was a little bit of quickness to it and not everybody was not on the same page. I always wondered that, too. You could hear that, too, in the crowd. I always wondered if somebody disagreed with it or whatever and they rushed through it because it's a very short version the last time I, I love that song but it has a little bit of a quicker pace that they played than it should have been played but it's coming out of like a long drawn out almost 20 minute space it's not something I'm going to complain about but it is really like mind melt like you're like what are they co- they're coming out into that
0: Right. Yeah, that was that was what kind of felt weird about it was coming out of that they're not coming out into a, Crazy like, Fingers or right, right or, or something or, a little you know, bit morph more frat or right, something sure. like that. Yeah, Black-eyed Peter, Black-eyed black eyed Peter Black eyed Peter Black-eyed Katie Peter Peter <laughs> <laughs> Peter <laughs> pumpkin eater.
1: <laughs> black eyed um, Peter for all of but, you that don't know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There was still plenty of room for Bobby to do some screeching in the last time. Maybe he was making up for the fact his guitar still wasn't plugged in. They closed the show, I think, with a, an uptick. They step on the gas pedal a little bit here with the Throwing Stones. Obviously, they're in DC, so you're gonna get a little bit of the political component there. I think it was at this point that I noticed Bobby was wearing...
1: The aqua blue jersey beater? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever
0: the, what do you guys a call wife it? beater. <laughs>
1: Why, I don't know okay. if that's. I don't know if yeah. we
0: should use that term. I, uh, no. I, 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 I don't. I'll call it a Jersey yes. beater then. Whatever. Hey, hey, don't, I, don't be discriminatory <laughs> towards my home state. Um, yes, he wore tank tops both nights. I would assume that it was hot in DC in June of 1993. But I was gonna comment on his high tops with like calf high exercise socks that were pushed down. <laughs> <laughs> the 90s were a wild time man Bobby's style really stretched the limits there but the throwing stones you know they're in dc they're gonna throw a little bit of political shade towards the nation's capital i find it interesting you know we're looking at it from this side of history and you're like oh, you know, 1993 like the clinton presidency had just started and you know, the Cold War had just ended and there wasn't really a whole lot of stuff to be kind of upset about in the grand scheme of things. You know, now it's a little bit of a different time. But, you know, the Grateful Dead being anti-establishment and stuff like that, you know, even as they're, you know, mainstream, wealthy, rich guys, you know, they still got to give their you know, little gesture towards the, the nation's capital. But, you know, a fun version and, and Throwing Stones... It's gonna get the crowd amped up again, and then one more Saturday night to bring the show down. That's a fun end to the show, right? You're not gonna be upset after that. No, I, those pairings, one
1: more Saturday night, it's Saturday night, that's gonna get played. It's gonna get played. But the Throwing Stones, like, you know, Bobby does a little bit of a change of lyrics. Money Green, it's the only way, instead of proletariat gray. I like how he always would switch that up, kind of stuff up for DC. He did it in The Stranger, too. He says, down there on 11th Avenue instead of Neon Avenue. But we looked this up. There's nothing on 11th Avenue, Bobby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's an 11th Street somewhere. But <laughs> so
1: I looked up on Google, like, what's on 11th Avenue? Is that, is that Congress? Is that the VP's house? Or like, it, It's just, like, Northeast. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I, mean, I was even like, is the zoo over there? <laughs> but it, it's uh, it's not. <laughs> so I don't know what the hell he was talking about down there on 11th Avenue. It sounds like, I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody, please. But I think he says down there on 11th Avenue. I think he just got his streets wrong. Maybe he should have said Pennsylvania
0: Avenue. He, when he started the play-in, he he botched the words a little bit. When you when you watch the video, you have to watch the video. He like botches the first couple words and then he like does like a little head shake and you know the crowd kinda of gives him a cheer and then he steps back up and and his guitar was still not plugged in. This show was interesting to me because of some of the stats and, and obviously because of when some of these songs originated in the live format for The Grateful Dead. And one more Saturday night obviously has been a staple for the duration of their career. But I thought that this was interesting. So in 1993, The Grateful Dead played Saturday night 10 times in 81 shows, right? By comparison, in 1972, they played it 52 times in 86 shows. Wow, there's only 52 weeks in a year. So they must have played it every
1: single fucking Saturday. Right, so they played it, like, every week. One more
0: Saturday night.
1: Right, so every fucking Saturday, they played one more Saturday night. I love how, like, the olds are fucking complaining about how they're still playing it in fucking 93, when it's like, dude, they played it fucking every week, why weren't you complaining about it? I guess, you know, some of that is, like, when people get together. Right, you weren't looking this shit up on the internet, right? Yeah, There was, like, Dupree's Diamond Blues, so, you know, that was, like, a newspaper, which might have had fall tour set list or some sort of dossier on what was played the, the previous tour, but nothing comprehensive where you would know that. That's a crazy,
0: crazy, crazy stat. Barton Hall, you know, one more Saturday night was a Barton Hall. One of the best things, it's one of the best things they played that night, right? It's a great version. <laughs> Dude, it's
1: smoking hot.
0: I like... I don't understand why people don't like that. That's great. Another interesting stat is on the Liberty that they encored with, again, another 93 debut. This debuted actually at the same show as Lazy River Road, which was in February of 93 in Oakland. So a couple of tunes that... They were really trying to work out but here is the stat about liberty that will blow your mind my friend liberty was played 56 times by the grateful dead right so 1993 to 1995 of those 56 times all but nine of them were
1: on course dude i don't even know like where to begin with that All but nine were encored. 56, but all but nine were encored. Well, I mean, I guess the other nine, they were like, let's stick it somewhere. I mean, so there you go. I mean, that really goes back to what we've been talking about for this entire show, which is infusing new music, playing it as much as they could, which means getting your legs underneath of it some they did lazy river road in this show the liberty is pretty well i mean it's it's a straightforward tune it's almost like a one more saturday night which is interesting you know it's like they kind of wanted to rotate this thing as like this is gonna be like an anthem song like a u.s blues they have plenty of them you know in their large catalog some were gonna hit and some you know picasso the way to go home maybe not so much the liberty
0: hits the, the Lazy River Road hits. What you just said about, you know, an old band trying to infuse new tunes, I kind of, like, flipped that a little bit. And, I mean, obviously it's still an old band, but I feel like they're taking new tunes and infusing old tunes with them. You know, the Terrapin play in the Saturday Night with a last time, 1990, Days Between 93, Liberty, 93, Way to Go, Home, 92, Masterpiece, 87, Lazy River Road, 93, Picasso Moon, 89. So really, and this was one of the things that struck me, I think, most about this show. Average age of the songs was, you know, probably mid-80s, you know, if you, if you average it all out, and I'm, I'm not a math teacher, so I wouldn't even attempt to do something like that. But with what you've got here with those new tunes spreading from the 80s into the 90s with just a couple of older tunes there, it made this feel like there was still so much life left in this band. And that was definitely kind of what I felt after listening to this show over and over again because the the music was tight, the grooves were great, it was danceable, it was energetic, there were no big misses or mistakes or flubs, and you could feel the positivity and the energy from the band. You know, as much as Jerry looked like he's having fun, he looked like he was enjoying himself. To be doing that with these 80s and 90s tunes, I think really kind of struck me. Bobby wasn't plugged in. The highlights for me, you know, I said the Stranger, the Bird song, the playing and the Terrapin, I mean, those were, all the older things, right? (laughs) You know?
1: I didn't have any complaints at all, man. It it was two days of amazing times. I mean, I already
0: had, like, a shitty time, you know, two nights before. Stabby. Stabby. 1993. That's the next shirt I'm getting you is Stabby
1: 93. June 24th. And that's the thing. I totally forgot about that entire story. (laughs) Uh, And I think it's because I'm old. I'm trying not to lose my mind. But, I mean... Yeah, that was before those two shows. And listen, I know that people probably think, why do they keep picking like Cap Center, RFK? I mean, you know, this is where I lived. I've always lived in Baltimore or the surrounding area. It's not like I live in different spots in my life. I've always been here. So I travel out of here. I love my hometown. I love Baltimore. And D.C. is 35 minutes away, man, it's, it's literally down the street. Picking this is, is kind of important because RFK is a, a venue that's a stadium, and seeing your favorite band at a stadium that's not playing the same shit every night, sorry Bon Jovi, Guns N' Roses, whoever you are that was touring around that time, you 2 with who I saw at RFK in 87, it was different. And the whole scene was different and massive at that point. And that's not necessarily a good
0: thing. Massive didn't mean good. Well, the other thing is if you think about how we travel now to go across the country or to Colorado or wherever we go to see fish, like, it's just, it's different now, you know? You're, all, you're older, you have money. <laughs> <laughs> I have money. I, I, right. I make money. Yeah, right. So get, you know, actually physically getting to these shows. You know, you didn't have a car back. You were a city kid back in the day. You didn't have a car. You didn't have the wherewithal to hop in and drive to Florida, drive to, you know, the middle of the country or the West Coast or to do anything like that. So it's okay to have you know, a regional bias here and not for nothing, I mean, the first Grateful Dead show that we did on Stubby Down was the Louisville show, so that's definitely out of the Baltimore-Washington radius if you will, and you know, and I know you, I think you said you, you saw shows in Pittsburgh and you know, different places are, you know, on the East Coast and stuff like that, and those are you know, those are journeys, those are trips we do things differently now to go see our music because times are different know and we're older and we're different and the whole experience is different you know there were no fucking travel packages for a three-night run at the cap center you know when the Grateful Dead was playing in 93 right you know and now it's like oh let me get a CID and all I got to do is show up at the hotel and they give me my tickets and a t-shirt and a bracelet and a ride to the show and you know I just got to be here at a certain time and it's a much different concert experience now than what it was in 1993. You know, I personally love the fact that we get to talk about these shows because it really helps me to connect even more with the music that I've spent so much time listening to, but being able to do the research and with these shows like 90, 91, 93, these are not years that I have a good competency when it comes to my Grateful Dead knowledge and so to add these and to hear what they were doing it kind of breaks down some notions that i had of where the band was in the latter stages of their career and some people if they're not in the know would have considered like 90 you know anything in the 90s to be like the decline of the grateful dead because jerry died in the middle of the decade I think shows like this prove that to be not true and that they, every decade they had a a new peak and a new resurgence and new infusion of life and energy. And now I'm curious about listening to some of these other shows in 93 and and hearing some of the other things they were doing, where their sound was, and to see if maybe they plugged Bobby in at, at something after this. (laughs) <laughs>
1: wow, well, I don't know what was happening with that. You're really you you are very very stuck on, on my man with his aqua,
0: <laughs>
1: uh, his aqua colored, <laughs> pullover. Well, I don't know
0: what the fuck. <laughs> I it's, it's like an undershirt top <laughs> his cutoff jeans and his, his high tops with the scrunchy socks all right just to review the second set from the Grateful Dead here RFK in June June 26 1993 they opened the second set with Iko Ico," way to go home playing in the band into Terrapin Station into drums into space into Last Time, into a haunting version of Days Between, into Throwing Stones, into One More Saturday Night, and a very familiar encore tune for The Grateful Dead in the latter years of their career, Liberty closing the entire show and two-night run at our nation's capital, RFK. I'd love to see them do something cool with RFK. I know that there's been some conversation about the commander's this is not a sports show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know, skinny. It's it's with this show. Like I said, it, there there were some there were some definite peaks that started each set. The feel like a stranger and the ICO that started the second set. But they also kind of dialed it back. They had a little bit of a mellow, groovy feel, which works perfectly if you are interested in any sort of CBD. One of our partners on the lot by Primal Soup is Mellow Mood Hemp Company. Everything from tinctures to CBD-infused soap, bath bombs, lotions, and I know you got a dog, Skinny. When Bruno gets a little bit upset, they even have some pet CBD. and Maybe Bruno could use some of that. I don't know if, uh, if that guy's ever dabbled but it might be helpful for him because I know he gets a little anxious from time to time when you guys are not around or you are around or it's raining or it's windy or it's sunny. (laughs) Well... He
1: doesn't have separation anxiety. He's actually really good. He, he wants us to leave.
0: Try some of the Mellow Mood hemp CBD oil for when you're there, and hopefully he'll be cool. But check out their products. They have a wide variety of CBD, a lot of benefits from CBD. And it's all organic, no chemicals, all natural. They are based in Indiana. They're using hemp from Indiana. Great opportunity there. Check them out, they're on the lot by Primal Soup Mellow Mood Hemp Company. Skinny man, thanks for stubbing me down on this show. What a great window into where the Grateful Dead was in 1993. I really enjoyed doing the research on this checking out some of the stats here. There were a lot more stats than I expected to get out of a, you know, mid-year 1993 summer show, and it was a lot of fun to listen to and watch those videos on YouTube. There were, like I said, there were some pro shot videos of select songs, but then some dude had set up his shoulder camcorder (laughs) somewhere in one of the decks there and and gotten both sets and so check that out on YouTube if you have not just search the date of the show and, and it should pop up but a lot of fun to talk about and uh as always I love I love taking a look at these Grateful Dead shows because it really is a window into where you came from musically what you've seen before we knew each other and hey man i'm grateful for you
1: too i just hope that somebody comes along and picks a grateful dead show that either like i was around during that time or even prior to that so we'll be on the lookout for somebody like that so be two against one so we'll beat you up a little bit more
0: (laughs) you're gonna beat up the little you're gonna beat up the little kid who wasn't even you know yeah yeah i'm a bully (laughs) <laughs> wasn't even I wasn't even shaven when the Grateful Dead were playing. Wow! Well, oh man, I
1: love you too, man. It was great to talk about this show. I can't wait to talk to you about whatever we're talking about next episode. So we're gonna try to keep that under the vest and uh, you know keep listening, everybody.
0: Yeah, we got a lot of cool things planned for this season, and uh, we're gonna be doing things a little bit differently. We're gonna try and space out our episodes a little bit so that you're all not hard pressed week over week to listen to us. If you do want to continue the conversation with us, you can check us out on social media. We are on Twitter at stub underscore me underscore down. And we are also on Instagram at the same address stub underscore me underscore down. You can find stummy down on all of your podcast sources from Apple to Google to Pandora. And tell your friends. We love to make new ones, and we are always appreciative of those of you who are checking us out. Skinny, thanks so much, man. As always, it's been a pleasure. I love you. You're my brother, and uh, there ain't nothing better than talking about music with you, my friend. Yeah, man. I love talking to you, and I can't wait to the next
1: episode. I'll talk to you soon.
0: All right, brother. We'll see you, and we will see you the next time you need to get out of your shitty seats and down to the path. See you, everybody.